Good evening. Uh, this lecture will be Leilu Nishmat Zev Ben Suaya. It's his your site. Also, the your site of uh, Nekadam. Uh, Tamara Bat Nekadam. Tamara Bat Nekadam. Also for the success of Ari Malik. Tov. After a month, Baruch Hashem, we're back here. I spoke already yesterday about the situation. And uh, it only got worse since yesterday to today. And it looks like it's going to get a lot worse. Uh, if you follow my lectures for the past 20-something years, you know I never had any illusion that you can rely or count on the Israeli Arabs if there is such a thing. No, Rabbi, they already has Israeli passport. They live in, uh, you know, with us. They're not like, like them. They're not the same. They grew up with us. Beloni. You know, what's the Zohar said that the <coughs> fifth Galut, fifth exile, will be Galut Ishmael. That means every Arab, potentially, not, of course, there's always exception to the rule, but Potentially every Arab is the, not just an enemy. We had already, f we have five empires that gave us hard time, right? Besides Egypt, Babylon, Greece, Persia, uh, the Romans, all this. But there are four, four actually came to attack Israel. Egypt did not attack Israel. We were there. And we came out of Egypt. But from then on, we had four Galuyot. Babylon destroyed the first temple. Then uh, Haman in Achashverosh was the second one. Third one was uh, the Greeks. And fourth one was Bave uh, Roma, Roma, Rome, Romi. But, you know, the Romans. And the fifth Galut will be Galut Ishmael. That's what the Chachamim told us. And they told us that they are the cruelest. And if you remember, I say to you already that uh, if you have to compare a Hamas terrorist to a Nazi, Nazi, Nazi that actually burned Jews in gas chambers. So, yeah, the question would be, what's the difference? What's the difference? That's a mass murderer and that's a mass murderer. There's still one difference. But if you come to the Nazi, Hans, Josef, whatever his name was, and you tell him, now, if you want to continue to kill Jews, we have to cut your hand off. And then you can kill 100,000 Jews. But we have to chop your, head off, your hand off. Sacrifice your hand, kill 100,000 Jews that you hate so much. Will he agree? No, absolutely not. Now one of them will agree. To give him one scratch in his face with a knife, he would not agree. Forget to take off his hand. Any damage to him, he would not agree. You come to an Arab, you tell him you give your hand that you can kill 100,000 Jews. He said, what, my hand only? Kill me and my 10 sons. But not to kill 100,000 Jews, to kill one Jew. I and my ten sons will all jump into the fire and die 
if we'll be able to kill one Jew. So who hate us more? Who's more dangerous? The Nazis, they're very spoiled. They didn't want to die. They don't want to suffer. They would not agree to suffer to achieve their goal. These Arabs, because they are so brainwashed, they walk with the feeling that the more I suffer and the more I'll die, the faster I die, the faster I'll go to heaven. They don't understand what kind of hell is waiting for them, for murdering innocent people, especially the children of God. Billions of years, they won't stop to suffer, all these terrorists. So for them, in their mind, they live in some kind of illusion that they're going to get something out of it. They will get something out of it. Millions of years of suffering. But we have to know one thing. Thinking, thinking that our problem right now is with the Arabs, in, in a way, it's, it's heresy. It's kfirah. What difference does it make? Arabs, Romans, Greeks, who cares? In the end, they all come to kill you, right? Who triggered them? It's written in a parasha that we read on Shabbat, Bechukotai. The enemy that lives among you will rise and you will go down as results of you not following my laws. You want to become secular? You want to live secular and rebel against me? No problem. But be ready to pay the price. So when people ask you now, what's going to be, what's going to be? You have to think and to say, we get right now what we deserve. That's the truth. Not everybody can handle the truth, but we get what we deserve. We brought it on ourselves. One year and a half of Corona was not enough. 6,300 people that died in Israel from Corona was not enough. Hashem gave us a way out of it by a miracle that nobody in the world has. In countries, they pile bodies and they burn them. They don't know what to do with them. Hashem got us out and said, no, let's see now if you're going to appreciate that you're the first country who came out of this and you live in, you're back to normal. Anyone learned the lesson? Possibly not even one. So then what happened to us? The tragedy of Meron. It's equal to thousands of deaths. More than 6,300. More than 6,300. Because each one of these tzaddikim count like hundreds or maybe thousands. Bnei Torah, holy people that did not, some of them did not make sins yet. They're young. 15, 13, 16. Just a couple of kids. Yeah, kids. So that wasn't enough. A week later comes another intifada. Hashem triggered those Arabs and look what they happen, what they do. But you have to know one thing now. What's happening now, it's unprecedented. It never happened yet from the time Israel became a state. Why? Because now citizens of the country with Israeli passport are cooperating with the enemies from outside to destroy Israel. This, was, this is what Paro was afraid of. The Egyptians, they say, let's get ready for the day that there will be a war and these Jews will cooperate with our enemies and they'll take over the country. 
That was a very clever thought. If you have a potential enemy lives inside you, right, you have to get always, to be always few steps ahead. The only reason they did not succeed and Hashem got angry at them and punished them severely is because they were ungrateful. Because thanks to the Jews, they have life. Without Yosef, they'll be all dead from starvation. So because of them, you are alive. You're right about what you say. They live among you, and one day they can take over the country, which is normal. Strangers may make a revolution one day. Minorities make problems in every country in the world. It's nothing new. Every place you go, minorities make problems, even here in America. But 10-15% of the, of the Americans are black. They hate many of them. They're white. And they make problems. It's a racial issue here. They feel deprived. They feel that they took advantage on them. They want a revenge. They make problems. You saw the riots. Every country you go, the Kurds in, in Turkey, I'm not getting into the argument who is right. White, black, Turkish, Kurdish. I'm not getting into this political argument now. I'm just describing that minorities, it's like, like they say in America, a pin in the neck. There's always going to be complaints. Sometimes justified complaints, sometimes not. So the majority in every country, like in China, there's two million Muslims, they destroy them. They torture them, they put them in camps. They don't let them build one mosque in China because they learn from what's happening in the world. You let them raise their hand, their head, that will be the end of us. The next thing, China will go on anarchy. So they re-educate them, force them. Over there, there's no democracy, there's no limitation. They can do whatever they want. And that's why, when did you hear that in China you have what you have in Israel or in Europe? Nobody makes a beep there. So, because the Egyptians had uh, a serious uh, ungratefulness in what they did, that's when Hashem punished them. Also, Hashem promised Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov that he's going to take us out of Egypt. So he was, he was forced to keep his promise. But other than that, every country that actually prepared for the day that the minority that declared that they would not rest until they slaughter all the majority, you have to be ready for the day that they will fulfill their goal. You cannot sit for 70 years and ignore the problem who all only rise every day. Every prime minister in Israel, with no exception to the rule, are guilty of this situation. Now, one of them did anything about it. Nothing. Not only that, Hashem saw that Israeli lousy, wicked politicians are about to form a lefty government with the enemies of Israel that call for our death and to destroy the religion while they're doing it. What happened? Look what's happening. That's what's happening. So first of all, the plan to join with the Arabs and form a government, it's history. I, you know what? I don't know. So far the three people died two Jewish women and one uh, Indian Goya that works in Israel. So far they died. And they burned hundreds of cars. And they burned a synagogue or two and a cemetery. And they keep doing, and they shoot rockets everywhere. 
maybe this price is definitely worth it than to let the Arabs take over the government. They're going to have to sit in the government's confidential meetings and know about all the nuclears and all the spies and all the Mossad agents. That's the cancer of the stupid democracy that your enemies that live among you and call for your destruction will become a majority eventually and take over what you build and slaughter all of you. That's what's happening. Yes. So the, we read it in this parasha. It's very interesting, the timing, right after Parashat Bechukotai, which describe exactly it. The minority that lives among you, the nation that lives inside you, will rise and take over. Now, in the city of Lod, it's like saying Brooklyn. It's like the riots you had over here. When the, when the riots took place here in New York, it were all American citizens. We're not talking about somebody from a different country trying to damage United States is American citizen who became an enemy of America. In this case, is New York an enemy of the, of the authorities, fighting policemen, killing them, burning things, robbing places, become the enemy of the nation. Same thing in Israel. Today you saw a video, I don't know how can you survive without fainting. Maybe 10,000 terrorists that lives in Lud with Israeli passport. They scream exactly like the Hamas, burning, throwing rocks at glasses, burning, breaking glasses of Jewish apartments. The Jews did not come today out of their apartments all day in Lud. Not in Gaza, in Lud. Imagine you in Brooklyn are locked for 48 hours in your apartment. You cannot come out because people on the street are ready to kill you and to burn you alive. And who are your, your neighbors? He lives here, he lives across the street. People from your own buildings. People that you see in the elevator, people that you see in a restaurant, people that you see on the street every day. You live with them for already two, three generations. And the Israelis are very naive and sometimes very stupid. I've been screaming for 20-something years, there's no such thing, Israeli Arabs and Arabs from, uh, from Palestinian territories. No such thing. They all have one mission, to slaughter all of us. No, don't be an extremist. Today they got the shock of their life. So now we have to understand why, when I say we deserve it, we have to be honest. First of all, every person that say, what happened to us, we don't deserve it, is a kofir. If a person has questions about Hashem, is a kofir. It's a question if you can even count him in a minyan. Hey, this guy died, he didn't deserve it. If he died, he deserved it. You do not know why, but Hashem does know why. In Rosh Hashanah, Hashem wrote him for death. There is no mistakes in the computer of Hashem. If this righteous person died, that means in Rosh Hashanah Hashem wrote that he will die when he's 16. And this guy 20 and this guy 70. And Hashem wrote it and he wrote how he's going to die and what date and what time. And that was already written and there's a reason for it. If the reason is not from this life, then the reason is from past life, from previous life. 
But the fact that a person died, that means he deserved to die. If somebody became sick, he deserved to be sick. If someone did all kinds of things and lost in the end everything, he deserved to lose all the money that he had. Why? Hashem does not give someone something, a punishment, unless he deserves it. With one exception to the rule, that sometimes there is a mass decree on thousands of people, and Hashem redeemed that by taking them extra righteous people, like kids, like very righteous Talmidei Chachamim. So He takes them from the world, put them in heaven, and as a result of that, 10,000 others that were supposed to die will live extra few more years to do tshuva, if they will do tshuva. It's up to them. In that case, these people really didn't deserve to die, but Hashem used them as a sacrifice, and he, and he made it up for them. They did not go to a bad place. They went to a very good place in heaven. So in the end, Hashem made it worth it for them. For them, definitely, they're not sorry for that. They got a great gift for that. Where they are right now, all these righteous people, we wish to be one day. And they went there. Amen. So, even though we are confident that we don't deserve it, and we complain, and we don't understand what Hashem wants from us, we should know that the problem is 100% by us. The fact that you do not understand your Creator does not make it right. Your claims are all nonsense. They all come from either lack of attention or lack of emuna or lack of or ignorance or different reasons. But definitely you don't see the picture. One person on my way to Brooklyn today called me up, spoke to me, and he told me, I tell you the truth, I used to be very upset when things like this happened, but now I'm not upset. Why? We didn't get the lesson when the corona. Maybe now we will get the lesson. So I told him, you see, you're one of the few people that look at the world with bright eyes, spiritual Torah eyes. Most people look at the world in a complete wrong way. They don't have Torah knowledge, they don't have Torah understanding, they don't understand who is God and what does He do and how does He do and why. They don't understand anything. And whenever they see children are dying or even religious people are dying, immediately they will jump to the wrong conclusion. If that's what happened, there's no God. If that's what happened, God hates us. If that's what happened, whatever the case may be. One thing we have to know, that in a court of heaven when the decision is reached, we have uh, the prosecutor and we have the defense. We have an angel to defend us and bring all the good that we do. And Baruch Hashem, we do some good. And there is the category, the Satan, which try to make it as bad as possible for all of us. For each individual and for us as a nation. So everything negative he can bring to Hashem and present his case, in the end, a decision has to be made. So whenever you see tragedies like you see right now, that means that Hashem and the defense 
angel did everything they can to get us in an easier possible way than what the Satan wants. So when you see such a tragedy, one follow the other every day or every other day, then you know that the judgment right now is extremely strict. We have right now Midat Adin. Now it's Rosh Chodesh Sivan. Now it's the head of the, the first day of the month of, the, of, Nisa, of Sivan. Now, right now, started. And that's the month we received the Torah. That's the month that we had Muhammad al-Sinai, that Hashem came down on a mountain and spoke to us. That's supposed to be very special days. First 12 days of the month, you don't make confessions. There's no nefilat apayim, no vidui, because it's 12 days with spiritual light from Shamaim. And Hashem is striking our places with bombs and missiles and thirsty blood uh, uh, murderers, thousands of them that lives among us, then you know how angry he is at us. And if you think otherwise, it's about time you wake up. Why? Because the more you will deny it, the more punishment you will get. Punishment is not only when you do something with your hands, or with your mouth, or with your eyes. <coughs> punishment is when you think what you're not supposed to think. When you think things that, ah, another day or two it will all be over. That's the way it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's politics. What can you do? We, live, uh, we came to Israel, the Arabs are angry, that's baloney. This is the way the Goim think. All the anti-Semite European, they rewrite history. They all know that we were there for 3,000 years. They all read the Tanakh in their churches. Even the Arabs read it in their mosques. And they all cooperate with one of the biggest scams in history. What is the biggest scam? They created a, a nation that never existed, Palestinians. Named after Philistines. There's no, there's no such thing, Palestinians. It's regular Arabs. Regular Arabs from different countries. So, what can you do? Politically, if I was the Prime Minister, I would target every Israeli citizen who attacked police and burned things and revoked his citizenship. Take it away from him. You don't have an ID. No passport. You don't belong to this country. You can live here right now, but you're not a citizen of this country. You don't have the right. Now, I know what you're going to say. Well, you can do it. You need to. It's a democracy. You have to limit democracy by 90%. Cancel 90% of the law of democracy in Israel. There's no room for democracy in Israel. Until now, why we were afraid? We were afraid of America. America keeps pushing the democracy on countries. Democracy, democracy, democracy. Okay, as long as you get some benefit from America, you're afraid to lose it. But now when the Americans themselves became an enemy of Israel, as you can hear on the news, how they talk. It's not Trump. Trump today, Trump, as usual, is faithful to us. He came up and spoke. And he said to Sleepy Joe, wake up. Supposed to, to go with your ally. What is this? Thank you for saying Israel have the right to defend itself. Wow, such an achievement. To get it out of his mouth, wow, it was not easy. 
Four years Trump was a president, you, he did not hear anything from the Palestinians, this fake nation, Palestinian, nothing, almost nothing for four years. Nothing. They were very quiet. Why? They knew their place. He put them where they belong. Put them in a box and said, sit here and be quiet. He closed their mini embassy over here in Manhattan, shut their budget, went against them in United Nations constantly, cut their wings, and for four years they were begging for the day he will go away. Of course, this is all Hashem did. But what, what can we do that it did not help? None of us became more religious. None of us became more faithful to Hashem. Oh, most of us do not appreciate. We took it for granted. And everything turned around 180 degrees overnight. The moment these Democrats took the control, you know life will never be the same. But it's not only going to be for four years. Don't kid yourself. That's it, it's forever now. It's not going to be any more Republicans here. There's not going to be regime over here that is pro-Israel. Pro more and more lefty Muslim Democrats taking over. Soon you're going to be, you're going to have here in America ministers that are actual terrorists, like this Omar and the other ones, actual terrorists. They will run this country. They will control thousands of nuclear bombs. The partners of Iran and the Hamas will control America in another five, ten years. If you ever have a dream that things will get better here, you are dreaming. We are in a time, time is ticking. It's only going to get worse. I'm sorry to disappoint you and, de and depress you, but we have to be prepared for what's coming. So here we go. So what the Israelis can do, right away everybody's waking up now, stop buying from the Arabs, stop hiring them, stop giving them jobs. Almost all the jobs, they're Arabs in Israel. It's a catch-22. You feed the enemy that tells you in your face, one day I will slaughter you and your children. And you have to give him a fake smile. And he, they usually don't give a fake smile. They show you that they hate you. Every once in a while you find nice one among them. That is a friendly guy, but most of them they show you in your face that they wait for the moment that they can come and slaughter you. So you have to hire them. They have to build your home and they sh push shoes inside the pipe and they push nails and they do all kinds of other things on purpose. That after a year or two problems will begin. You know, things will break, things will get stuck, will cost fortune to break the walls. That's what they do. What do you think? They like you? They're going to build you a home hoping to that you will enjoy it? Why are you living in a dream here? But on the other hand, who else going to do the job? Who? You're going to get the Jews from the university to build homes, to work in construction? I was trying to lift one Jerusalem brick. One. Like this, it's maybe 10, inch, 10 inches by 30 maybe, 30 inches. And maybe two inches thick. One brick, it broke my entire hands and, and, and my shoulders. Then this guy came, the Arab, four of them, one, two, three, four, like this. Four, very strong. Physically, they're very strong. 
the Gemara say, strong like donkeys. On donkey you can put a ton of weight. What can you put on a, on a Jew? You put 20 pounds, he's already shaking. <laughs> Why? That's what the Torah say. The Torah say the strength is the Goim, the Esav, the Ishmael, all these people. But the Jews, their mouth is in their holiness, spiritual power. But the problem with the Jews is that they lost connection with the Torah. This guy wants to lift weight, this guy wants to be a boxer, this guy wants to be a commando. That's not the purpose of the Jews in the world. They have to focus on what they do the best, which is thinking, speaking, influencing the world. But today it's become a mess. It's a big mess. So now, Abutai, I want to tell you how we can handle the situation. First, we have to read a lot of Tehillim, literally. Every one of us read a lot of Tehillim for the Midat Adin to change to Midat Rachamim. The judgment will turn into mercy. Second, to give tons of tzedakah, literally tons. Not Pa'amayim Chai or 101. This you leave for other times. Now it's time that the sword is on your neck. When the sword is on your neck, you don't offer the murderer 101. Right? You have to make a good offer to cancel the decree. You can't give, you make others give. The Satan has a sword on your neck already. You're offering him 101. It's going to slaughter you faster. You got to give something that, that hurts to protect yourself and your family. Why? We have a rule. Tzedakah tatzil mimavet. It's very interesting. Every time I go away to Israel for three, four weeks, the donations goes down more than 80, sometimes 90% in those three, four weeks. Almost everything stopped. Why is it? People need constant reminder that they have to give donation to save souls or to support Torah. As soon as you stop giving live lecture, first week there's a drop, Second week, another big drop. By the third week, almost everything is gone. You got to start all from the beginning when you come back. Why is it? People either have no brain or their brain memory is already full. Why people don't put monthly? Because they don't have a muna. They're afraid what's going to happen in a few months. As on my way here, someone just canceled two monthly donations that he had. I'm sorry, when I'm going to have to cancel. No, we're not even big donation. Not even a hundred bucks. So the idea is that people have no emunah. When people have financial problems, the Gemara say they have to increase their donations. If you had emunah in Hashem and in the words of Chazal, when you see that 40% of your business went down, you would double your donations. That's a kosher Jew. 99% of the people will cut immediately from their donation before they cut from their stakes and before they cut from their vacations and before they cut from the Rolex that they're about to buy. A year of Corona, you may think that people will cut from all their nonsense they buy. My friend told me yesterday something shocking. He said to me, now watches are the best investment. 
I say to him, watches? He say, yes, I have an old Rolex. I bought it for $22,000. People offered me now 60 for it. I say, why? He said, there's shortage. They didn't make in Europe enough Rolex because of Corona, the factories. Plus, there is a lot of young millionaires. 18 years old already have tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. How? Cryptocurrency. Yeah, cryptocurrency. Yeah, the guy with the $270,000 watch. So people think that this dream will remain forever. Problem is when an 18 or 20 years old become a millionaire overnight or in a period of a month or two, they have to really hope that that will, will not be his final destruction for good. Because he may do some things that will destroy his life. I give you an example. If a person is smart, he understands that these profits that he makes right now will not remain forever. It's a wave. What, you, what should you do? Buy some real estate, buy other things, that one day when this collapses, you have other places. But the problem with the people is, it's like gambling in a casino. You think that every shot you make, you make, you make, then one shot, you lose everything. That's what happened to a lot of these kids. They're going to spend now on a new Tesla and a new watch and this, and spend a million dollars on nonsense. And all of a sudden, a few months later, they're going to have few bad investments. And the next thing, they're going to beg you, hey, hey, can you buy my watch for $5,000? But you pay 100 No, I need cash. That's what happened to Tyson. You know Tyson? He had a house, 64 bedrooms. And he wanted to sell it. He needed money today for $4 million. The lot cost him more. Forget about the house to build it. Now we have a few, few problems. There's few more problems. What's the problems? Is that we don't really know where the world is going to. We don't know if we will be able to stay here for a long time. We don't know if it's good to go to Israel. I don't know what Hashem is planning to Israel. I know that many speakers over the years say Israel is the safest place. And all Jews must come to Israel. If you won't come, when Mashiach comes, you won't be able to come. I never understood where they bring this from because the Torah and the Tanakh does not say it. If any, it says the opposite. If any, it says the opposite. Two things it says. One is, Zachary 14, that when the Goim will attack Jerusalem, it will be a disaster. I don't want to go into details because it's really, really depressing. And people would run to the, to the deserts and hide over there in caves. It's very similar to what we see now. But based on the prophecy, it's a lot worse than what we've seen in the last few days. So I don't know where they got their confidence. The prophet says otherwise. Also, it says that the, the Messiah will gather all the Jews to Israel as a part of the salvation. There's nowhere does it say that if you did not make Aliyah to Israel before the Mashiach come, you won't be able to do it later on. They made it up. Whoever says such thing, he made it up. There's no source for it.
We have to know the truth. We are not politicians. Again, politicians say what they want to say today. Tomorrow they say the exact opposite. Bennett is a perfect example. I promise, here you go in life, I'm signing, I will never go with the left. It's against my ideology. A week later, he's begging the left. Let's make a government. These people do not deserve one gram of, of appreciation. Nothing. These criminals that call themselves politicians. So what do we have to do? Obviously, teilim, lots of tzedakah. Tzedakah to save our own life. And then to help Klal Israel to learn more Torah. And the most important thing, to do tshuva. Tshuva, tfila, and tzedakah, ma'avirim et roa gzera. Tshuva, prayers, and charity cancel and move away the decree, the horrible decree that is pending against an individual or against us as a nation. Chesed is a part of tzedakah. It's included in tzedakah. It's like giving time to someone or giving him food. That's also tzedakah. It always goes together. Every tzedakah is chesed and every chesed is tzedakah if you really think about it. Tzedakah v'chesed. If you give someone a book, you didn't give him cash, but the book saved him now to buy another book for $20. So it's like tzedakah. You gave him your clothes. You bought a suit. You gain a few pounds. It doesn't go, you know, it doesn't close. You give it to someone, you save him 200 bucks. It's Dakar. You understand? Or you let him borrow something, or use your car. That's money. That's Dakar. Yeah. Biggest chesed in Dakar, obviously, is Kiruv, because there's nothing comes even near of taking someone's soul that was destroyed and reconnecting it to Hashem. No matter how you look at it, it's the most uh, impressive thing that a person can do. Nothing higher than this. You take lost children and connect them to Hashem. So what's the advantage, you know, the advantages of missiles falling all over Israel? It brings fear to all the Israeli, all the naked people, all the people that curse all day, all the Mechalelei Shabbat, all the people that eat refot. You know, I, I want to tell you something. About two years ago, remember I told you once the story that me and my assistant in Israel, when we go to the lecture, people give coins, and we had a whole big glass of coins, and I counted them and all that. And we went to a place in Chulon that the Mashgiach, the Ashgachah over there is the son of Ravavadi Yosef, Rabbi Avraham Yosef. Talmid Chacham. The Teudat Kashrut is from him there. We went to eat two sandwiches and drink at probably 1 or 2 a.m. at night after a long night with people, lecture. I counted all the coins. I want to get rid of the coins. Where are we going to put the coins? So we place it with, with bills. We want to get rid of the coins. We either use it for food or for gas. <laughs> i never forget I went to a gas station. The guy saw the pile of the coins. <laughs> okay, 15 minutes. <laughs> That's unbelievable. So anyway, so the guy say he adds up the two sandwiches, this, that, the drink. One hundred and eighty-seven shekel and twenty-five agorot. I say here, <laughs> exactly to the penny. 
what I had in my hand. Here. He said to me, what here? Mine. I said, that's exactly what you said. Ah, come on. The Russian, Russian guy. Mom, mom, count. Don't joke. Count. Exactly. I was shocked. Him and the other guy, the Israeli guy. How can it be? That place over there is a chain of restaurants that open into the night. The food may be kosher, but the place is extremely not kosher. Sodom and Gomorrah. And I told my assistant, I don't understand how Hashem can stand such thing. Girls, young girls come here naked, sitting with guys, 2 a.m. Where is their parents? How come nobody cares where their children are? Look at all these secular teenagers over here. That's exactly where the missile fell today. Right there, in a place where I told him. Right there it fell. One woman died, and the whole block is destroyed. And he sent it to me, Sarah, you recognize the place? Exactly where I told him, how can it be? What do you think? Every missile has an address. Every bullet has an address. And everybody thinks otherwise. He's, unfortunately, an infidel. Kofer. He may have a nice beard and a nice yamaka. He may come to shul and keep Shabbat. But if he thinks that there's a random falling of missiles in different places based on how the Arabs aiming it, you are dreaming. The Arabs are the tool in the end of Hashem. When he wants them to be quiet, they'll be quiet. When he wants them to shoot and where to shoot, he will aim exactly to where. And there was one missile that fell today in a farm, in a greenhouse. And the guy said, just recently I was convinced to keep this upcoming Shemitah. As a farmer who never kept Shemitah, seven years he worked as usual. He accepted on himself for one year to strike and to leave his farms, not to grow anything, not to sell anything. He accepted to, to, to Shemitah, a missile fell right in his greenhouse and did not explode. Did see, not explode. See, the see the missiles right there in between uh, all the, the whatever, whatever is going there. A missile that will come from far, boom, hit and not explode. You need a big miracle for that. You know, sometimes it explodes in the face of the Arabs before they even shoot it. Yeah, some of the rockets explode on them. Nine of the ten children died, Arabs, they all died from their own fire, from their own fire. And as I saw a video that one stupid Arab is shooting in the air, ta -ta 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 -ta, all of a sudden by mistake, the gun fell down and he shot a few Arabs and killed one of them. One of them got it right in his eye. They killed their own people. Then they begin with their barbarian screaming, Ah, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. This is who you're dealing with. The cruelest enemy you could get, Hashem got for us. If you think that's already more than enough, Hezbollah is thinking if to join the party. Hezbollah, it's not a small rocket. It's 
already scud missiles and serious problem. Chas v'shalom, they're going to start shooting missiles all over. We will see in the next few days how much Hashem is angry at us. We will see how much Hashem is angry at us. Why does Hashem make a lot of bombs and explosions? The Gemara answers it. Who knows where does it say it in the Gemara? Why does Hashem choose punishment that has a lot of noise? Loud noise. Huh? The answer is the Gemara says, "Lo nivreu re'amim ella kedei leyasher akmumiyut shebalev." Why Hashem invented such a phenomena? Thunders, boom! You hear the thunder sometimes? Shakes the whole building. The glass can break. Boom! What happens as soon as you hear this? You can't breathe. You get so afraid. People get panic attacks from thunders. If you think thunder is scary, I don't want to tell you what happened when a bomb explodes right by your backyard, the noise that it makes. Your ears cannot hear for, for, for three, four hours after that. All you hear is a whistle. So the Gemara, everything is in the Gemara. Why Hashem makes explosions around us? To make the heart straight. Akmumiyut shebalev. The heart goes left and right, zigzag. One moment you're religious, another moment you, Hashem irachem, what you are. Up and down, left and right, up and down, left and right. That's the reality. So, Let's conclude. What is the good thing that happened from this war so far? Who remembers? The horrible anti-Jewish government that was about to be formed in the next few days most likely will not happen. And that's a big miracle. You don't understand what would happen if it will happen. They will shut all the budgets of all the yeshivot because the biggest haters of Torah are about to become the leaders. The, the, the one in charge of the money, Lieberman, there's no bigger anti-Semite person in the world more than him. Nobody hates Torah and religious people more than this Nazi. And he was about to become the Ministry of Treasury. Meaning all the money of the shivot, of the synagogues, all the budgets in his signature. That's more than a hundred wars like this. A hundred wars of what you see right now, multiplied by a hundred. It's not a tragedy like him becoming Sarah Otsar. And few other lefties, one of them become the minister of education. Gay. Lefty. Pro-Hamas. Hey Torah, hey Hashem, an atheist. He is going to be in charge of the education of all the Jewish kids in Israel. What's that was about to happen. Orvitz. Yes, the merits. Emach Shimam, these haters of Torah. And a few other clowns, like Lapid, 
I don't have to tell you his record is already well known to everyone how much he hates religion. Those were the people who are about to take over Israel. So maybe... With them, we cannot show them anything. Even if Arabs will burn the entire Israel, they will still blame us. The lefties. The lefties will never be on the side of the Jews. The lefties are the Erev Rav that the Zohar warned from, that they are the biggest enemies of the Jewish nation ever. Ever. Those are the lefties in Israel. Uh, you know, they were interviewing an Israeli guy on live television. For one of the, because he was next to the bomb, to the missile. In the middle of the interview, he said, you know why we have all this? It's because of the lefties in Machshimam, and he started to curse them with the worst curses you can imagine. And the guy was trying to grab the microphone from his hand, and he was still cursing them on live television. <laughs> he had to see this. They are the enemies, he said. <laughs> Here they're very good with shutting people's mouth. Yeah. Look, look what they did to Trump. Yeah. Ah, okay, so my trip to Israel, Baruch Hashem, let's talk about something happy, was very good, very successful. After uh, 10 months I couldn't go. We had a seminar, as usual, people waiting online to grab the USBs and the books. And one interesting thing happened, I dedicated a week of my trip to go every day to find the best tefillin that you can find on earth. I mamash went from one place to another, from one checking. I took with me a friend of mine that we learned together in Yeshiva over 20 years ago. He became Avbedin, it's a big Dayan, huge Talmit Chacham, he already wrote books, many books. Talmid Chacham, Tzaddik Yesod Olam, lover of Torah, his entire life is Torah and he's also a great sofer. But because he's so into the Torah and the Bedin, he has no time to write. At least he's a top expert. Every little thing he checked, I took him with me. Apparently there are two things in Tefillin that are tricky. It could be beautiful parshiot, beautiful writing, but still have problems. It's enough that one of the letters is incomplete. For instance, sometimes they make the vav a little bit short. It's already questionable. It's a vav or yud. Everything else is like a printing. One letter that is bad habit of the sofer brings down the idur of that feeling. Or, or it could be that uh, according to Kabbalah, when they write the name of Hashem, there is also a way to see if this tefillin is holy or less. There's all kinds of things. It's all complicated, some of the things you have to check. But you have to take, I took top expert. Every halacha possible, every chumra he knows. I said, that's your field, that's your territory, you're the best sofer, you're the biggest talmid chacham. Let's go and check the best sofer and the best batim, 100% handmade, from the beginning to the end. In batim, sometimes there is a lot of scam. The way they make it, it looks beautiful, but it's not kosher. The lines, 
are not aligned with the actual hole. The separation, it's maybe a little bit left or right, and they make it, the, the painter, he makes the lines equal and symmetric, but if you stick knife inside, it's not where the hole is. Why? Because they want it to look nice. But that's a problem. There's all kinds of problems. So you have to know that when to, to, to get those batim, you have to, there is some places in Israel that they make like very small amount. It's all handmade. It's not commercial. They don't make hundreds. Commer they make one by one, and each one is supervised, not a general supervision like other places. Other places, they mashgiach, he check roughly, they know the job, but he doesn't check each pair by itself. So, best batim, very much more expensive than the regular good ones. The regular good ones have a pipe, but this one, because it's all unique, one by one. Again, there's few different levels. It range between one to two thousand dollars, depend. But the idea is, you should know that now someone told me that he just paid twenty-two hundred dollars for a pair of tefillin, and it doesn't come near this one, which is half a price. It's half a price. But you should know one of the reasons that it became very expensive is because the dollar is also on the all the way in the bottom, three twenty something. It used to be four. But it's unbelievable. Also, you have cloth. That is 100% also handmade, Avodat Yad. Also inside the tefillin, there is sometimes shortcuts that they use. It's kosher. For instance, you have the machine, you hold your hand on a button, and the machine works. As long as you hold it, it's from your hand. It, have, it has to be handmade. But pressing on a button and the machine does the job, is this what the Torah meant? Because in the old days, they didn't have machine. The machine didn't work like this. So, if you do it yourself, with your hand, it takes a lot longer, but it's no doubt that it's 100% the hand. If you press on a button and the machine does it, you say, wow, it's also my hand. Without my hand, it wouldn't move. But you understand that there's a difference. Yeah. Also to do the sheen. There's sometimes what they do, they press it from the side, they press the background, and then the shin comes out, and then they fix it with the hand. Or sometimes they do everything with the hand. It's much, much longer process. It's, uh, it's unbelievable art to make tefillin. From the minute he was a cow, until he became a very beautiful pair of tefillin, you cannot believe it. Baruch Hashem, I get it for very good prices. I go to the right places and I go directly, take it directly from the sofer, go directly from the batim, the retzuot, 100% handmade, black on both sides, directly from the place of the, and we put them together. It saves tons of money. If you go here to the store, you pay automatically double, double, and you don't reach such perfect level. Same thing with Zuzot. I got big ones. The problem with this is that you get limited amount, that's the problem. Because it's all handmade, it's, it's similar to Bet Yosef. When you come to the butcher, they never have unlimited Bet Yosef. Why? For every 10 cows, one maybe comes Bet Yosef. Or from every, so how many you have? You don't have 
In some places they hide it from the Sfar, for the Sfaradim. Because Ashkenazim, they can eat regular glut. But the Ashkenazim already learn. Why should I get glad if I can get completely smooth without any doubt? Why should I eat meat that two giant Chachamim argue if it's kosher or not? According to the Ramah, it's kosher. According to the Bet Yosef, it's taref. Why would I take such a risk? So many Ashkenazim say, well, what, what, who cares where I came from? If I was born in Germany or I was born in Iraq? That's what's going to make my decision if to buy this meat or that meat? Some people are like robots. Ani Ashkenazi, so Ashkenazi. We mekel. One person came to Avel Yashiv. He told him that was 30 years ago. I paid $1,500 for this pair of tefillin, and now someone told me it's not kosher. Can you check for me, Kvod Arav? Avel Yashiv checked. He told him it's kosher bedieved. What's bedieved? Lechatchila. You shouldn't take it. But now, if that's your, what you have and that's what you bought, that's the only feeling that you can use, after the fact is kosher. It's not the same. So the guy said, oh, Baruch Hashem, I was worried already. We were about to leave. Rav Yashif shouted, you want to be all your life with the Eved? <laughs> This guy thought he got away with that. <laughs> you want all your life to be with the Eved? Woke him up. That's how dumb we are. A matter of life and death, Oti, that's one of the three covenants with Hashem, Tfilin. Tfilin. Do you know how long it takes to make a pair of Tfilin? Huh? A whole. The whole thing, from the minute it was a cow until it becomes filin, it's about a year. Yeah. Wow. You have to slaughter the cow. Then you remove the skin. Then you put the skin in lime to dry it. Then you have to brush all the hair off. Then you take the leather, the, the skin, the skin, the leathers, pieces of leather. It looks like shoes, soles of shoes, but big ones. From the minute it becomes a big chunk of leather until it becomes the square that you see in a process. Wow, what a process. And the separation inside the head. The head costs two-thirds of the price. The hand costs a third of the price. It's not 50-50. The hand is a lot easier to make. It's a, it's a box. You don't have to divide it equally. And inside, if you have holes, it makes it not kosher. One hole, it's still kosher. Two holes makes it not kosher, and there's no way to know. You have to check with a flashlight. That's why you gotta be very careful where you get it from. And there's a lot of alachot le Moshe Mishinayin feeling. Like some of the air comes out. It looks, one guy, one time I had a guy, he told me, Rabbi, they made a defect. They left the strings coming out, so I cut it with a razor. I told him, you fool, you just made it feeling not kosher. It's supposed to come out. That's what Hashem showed Moshe Rabbeinu. It has to come out. So it takes about a year. A year. There's a film, How to Make It. They show you all the process. One, two, step, six. Sometimes you walk 10 months, boom, it becomes nakosher. Sometimes you suffer. Think about it. You have four chapters in a head, four chapters in a, in a hand. You have thousands of letters to write with. 
with a feather. You dip it in the ink, you go, you write, you write, you write, you write, boom! Became Pasul. Two hours you just walk, three hours you just walk, became Pasul. You cannot save it. Why? Because you have to shave everything in reverse to the place of the mistake. What happens if you have the name of Hashem? If the name of Hashem is written, you cannot erase the name of Hashem. Or what happens after you finish the old filin, you give it to the other sofer that checks it, and you say, look at here, the hay of Hashem is touching the vav. That's it. Well, you cannot erase in the name of Hashem. So the whole work of two days went down the drain. It's a very frustrating job. In the end, they make a few hundred dollars on a parashiot, which takes them about two days to write. After you take off the cloth and the person who makes the crowns on the leather and the computer scan and all that, they basically make what a Spanish guy in a supermarket makes wrapping your vegetables and fruits in bags, $15 an hour, that's more or less what they make. Maybe $20 an hour. It's a joke, sad joke, such professional holy people that do the work of Hashem make so little. If they would make it, filling in America, a good one like this would probably be six, seven, or $8,000 a pair for amount of work in it. Because in America, nobody would do it for $15, $20 an hour. It would be minimum $50 an hour. And you count the amount of hours and the cost of material. And there's also different qualities of leathers. Apparently, American leather is very good. It's not every leather is the same quality. Some tefillin will, will last 20, 25 years. Some can last 70 years. Depend on the quality of the leather. It's also making differences in the price. Some tefillin, they put glue in the bottom to hold it together. Why? Because otherwise, after a while, it opens up. It's four pieces in the head. They begin to, with humidity and heat, they open, open completely. Then the tefillin doesn't look square anymore. So they put in the bottom a little glue keeps it together. But of course, without glue, it's much higher level, if you know how to make it. Bottom line, you just got a little lesson about filin. And that's finally, finally I can say that this filin is the best you can find on earth now. But the problem is that there's not enough. It's not enough. You cannot get enough. I got four. They were all sold in two days. And next week, after Shavuot, someone's bringing five more pairs, and that will be now probably for a month. Because it's, uh, everybody fights, competes. Uh, I had to tell the guy, listen, I'm giving you right now an order for 100. I thought, um, wow, he's going to grab it. So, wow, <laughs> I need your order for 100. I can say, we make X amount of time. We cannot, you can give me an order of a thousand. There's an X amount that we can do here. It's all handmade, one by one. What do you think? It's not commercial. Let's move on. We read in the Torah, all the Mefarshim, they explain, 
שתהיו עמלים בתורה. באורח חיים כ-42 explanations for this verse, 42 different ones. אם בחוקותיי תלכו, if you follow my laws, meaning you will give your life to learn Torah. Not just to learn, you're not in a library here. You're not in a history lesson or math. And you have to get your degree. That's, forget about it. We're talking now that the Torah will become your oxygen, your life. Can't live without it. They ask Rav Gershol Adelstein, I think he's close to 100 years old by now, one of the top nine rabbis in the world. Are you going tomorrow to Meron, Kvod Arav? Meron? We learn Torah, what Meron? We're going to waste the whole day schlepping in a, on the buses to go to Meron or in cars, in traffic? We sit and learn Torah. What Mer- million Meron is now one hour of learning Torah. Million days you go to Meron, million, million Lagba Omer is now one hour of learning Torah. The Satan is a genius. You have a diamond in your hand, it's gonna make you sacrifice the diamond to get a quarter, a coin. Here, give a 10 carat diamond, I'll give you a quarter. If someone will do such deal, what is he? But how do you explain that we're not going to the grave of uh, David Ben-Gurion, Shem Reshaim Irkav. We're going to a grave of uh, Tana Eloki, one of the most important people that live in the history of the world, one of the top five people, Rashbi Akadosh. We're not going to a grave of somebody. We're going to a grave of a holy Tana, Mechayemetim, Irod the Zohar. Wow, Rabbi Shimon. Still. If you happen to pass by, you're driving one day over there and you see a grave of a tzaddik, quickly you jump inside, read Tehilim, say some prayers, and move on. To leave the Torah and to go to Kivrot Tzadikim, you lose a lot more than what you gain. You should know that. Don't be fooled by all these hundreds are going. Thousands are going. You will never see one gdola door go to Rashbi on Lagbaumer. Not Rav Uvadia, not Rav Benzion, not Rav Eliashiv, not Rav Chaim Kanievsky, not Rav Adelstein, none. Now one of gdolei ador ever went. Not to Uman and not to Lagbaumer by Rashbi. Or to any other Ilula. Never. When you see Rav Chaim Kanievsky close the Gemara, and go to Meron to light a, a candle there, then forget what I said. But until then, you have no permission to forget what I just told you. Don't ever be fooled by all this. We're organizing buses. That's the Satan orchestrates the whole thing. And there's a reason why Hashem punished us right there. Could have done it in many different places. To show you, I'm tired of this culture already. That's it became the main thing in Judaism. Kivrot tzaddikim, tiulim, let's go here, let's go there. Ish there, we must go. Rabbeinu will save the world. It's already on the border of idol worshipping. Very, very close to become Christians. Come back. Come back to Torah. Come back to Tshuva. Come back to other things. Enough with this. You gotta get rid of this kind of idea. 
Yes, yes, Rabotai. This is what it is. So now the question is, the Torah says, if you're going to be devoted to Torah and you keep mitzvot, what is going to be your reward? What, the, what we just read in Parashat Bechukotai? Rain in Israel, you don't have too much of it. Usually, Israel does not have rain like what rained here in the last three, four days. I don't know, in Brooklyn, but in Monsi, it rained three days in a row. That's usually months of the winter in Israel. What, ra- what rained here, you step on your grass, you're sinking. So much rain, this grass will take it two weeks to dry out. Why? Baruch Hashem is a blessed place. Non-stop rain. Every week you have at least one day of rain. And now three or four in a row. Even when it rains in Israel, it's maximum half an hour and it stops. You don't have like this, three days in a row rain. Three days in a row. It doesn't stop for a second. Pouring rain. You don't have a little bit rain here, a little bit rain there, an hour here, half an hour there, five minutes here. All together we survive. So when you have so little rain, the timing is critical. You need it to be divided perfectly. You grow this, you grow that. If the rain will come all in one week and then six month drought, (laughs) it's the end of us. So that, that's a blessing. I will give you rain in perfect timing. Be'itam. Be'itam. Tov? Meaning, if the rain, the first rain of the season, will come one week early, it will ruin all the tomatoes, all the wheat, whatever you're growing. If it will come two weeks later, everything will dry and die. So you need it around Sukkot. Usually first rainfall in Cholamoet Sukkot. How do I know? Every year it rains on us in a sukkah in Israel. That's where it starts. Baruch Hashem. So first I'll give you rain on time. Then I will make peace in the land. Third, your enemies will not stab you, will not fight you. And there's a list of things. You will multiply. You will have blessing in giving birth. No one will be barren. You sleep well at night with no fear. So there is a huge reward for learning Torah and keeping mitzvot as we read. But I don't understand one thing. The Gemara says in Masechet Kiddushin, Schar mitzvot don't expect to get rewarded for your mitzvot in this world. The reward of your mitzvot is all for the next world. I don't understand. You have a whole page promising reward if we're going to keep mitzvot. Black on white. And what do you think? The Chachamim did not know Parashat Bechukotai by heart? Much better than me and you, that's for sure. So how they ignore what's written? Of course they don't. It means that we didn't understand. Let's try to understand it together. 
Second question, why there is now one word in the Torah about the reward of the afterlife? Why the Torah doesn't say, I will reward you in the next world? Huh? The Gemara say all the reward is for the next world. But in the Torah, what does it mean that the reward is in this world? Ah, so let's see. The Rambam explained that over here, all this list of things that the Torah promised, if we're going to listen to Hashem and follow His mitzvot and learn a lot of Torah, is not a reward. It's removing the obstacles in Avodat Hashem. It's not a reward. There are things in life that do not let you learn Torah and keep mitzvot. Poverty, mental diseases, physical diseases, cruel enemy who constantly come to kill you, problems in making a living, no rain, nothing to eat, you're hungry, you're dying, you're, you cannot focus. You cannot have children, you sit home depressed for 20 years. All these things are obstacles in Avodat Hashem. It's like sticking a stick into the wheel of your bike. So now the Torah says, devote yourself for learning Torah and keep mitzvot. Slowly, slowly I will remove all the obstacles. You will have children, you will make money, the Arabs will go to sleep for 2,000 years. Everything will work out for you. Why? Because you went in Bechukotai. In Bechukotai Telechu. It's true that every kosher Jew wants to be righteous. Who doesn't want to be righteous? Raise his hand. Baruch Hashem, you're all normal. Who thinks he's righteous? Raise his hand. Besides him, everyone here is honest. <laughs> or humble, one of the two. I said that in the yeshiva that I spoke, who thinks he's a tzaddik here? Nobody raised their hand. I said, Baruch Hashem, Rabbi, you see, all your talmidim are honest. He told me, no, they actually humble. Meaning, he testified that they are tzaddikim. But they don't want to raise their hand. Meaning, they don't make sins. Tov. So, Baruch Hashem, we have one tzaddik in Sdom, <laughs> raising his hand with no fear, Baruch Hashem. There's only one thing you should know. You better be right. <laughs> because if not, you will regret raising the hand. <laughs> and you stand in front of Hashem and say, what do you think? You're tzaddik? Of course. You have no hesitation. No hesitation whatsoever. I get, I get such a smack. Pa-pam. Wake up from your dream. Wake up, my friend. Anyway, so now, <laughs> so what is the reason we are not tzaddikim? Chazal has an expression. Seor sheba'isa me'akev. Seor. You have a huge pile of dough. 
And one in the door, there is one piece of wheat stuck with it. What's going to happen now? It's like the Yetzirah penetrates our heart. So the Gemara say, what are the reasons that a person will not be a tzaddik? One, the evil inclination, Yetzirah. Two, Shibud Malchuyot, the Goim, the Romans, the Greeks. Today, you don't need Goim, you have Erev Rav, Arabs. So the Gemara say, Shibud Malchuyot, the Goim don't give you a rest. Fuck, it's me selling another war, anti-Semitism, this, that. No, no, no rest. So the Torah say, okay, so let me give you an advice. You do your max. Leave the rest for me. Give your life for the Torah. Show me you're really serious. Do the best you can to keep mitzvot. Show me you're really serious. And I'll do the rest. Slowly, slowly, I will remove all the obstacles on your path. When you have peace, you can have a peace of mind to learn. If you have rockets falling, you can learn. Only if you Chacham Ovadia Yosef. He was learning when the Prime Minister of Israel stood next to him with his bodyguards with walkie-talkie in a room and didn't realize for half an hour they're standing in his room. Because <laughs> he's in a different planet when he learns. Stop. The Ibn Ezra, in Parashat Azinu, he says, this is about the Gemara in Brachot Lamed Daled, page 34, all the prophets spoke their prophecy about someone, listen carefully, that married his daughter to a Talmit Chacham. Shalom Moshe, hi, shalom, who is speaking? This is Mrs. Cohen. Yes, where are you from? I am the Shatchan, Shatchanit. I heard you have a daughter, and Baruch Hashem, she's a great girl, very religious. I have a few boys here that maybe could be good for her. Can I hear? Okay, one is a very serious learner. He learns his Balmidot, but he's very poor. There's another one, very modern, is planning now to go to university in Manhattan, if you know what I mean. And he comes from a very wealthy family, and he's going to be a great doctor. Which one of the two I should send to you, Mr. Cohen? Which resume you want? If he said, what, what's university now? You're wasting my time. I want to know the learner, the Ben Torah. Of course, of course. And then it worked out, and he married his daughter to a Talmud Chacham. Poor! He's going to pay all the bills. He's going to pay the rent, he's going to pay the wedding. As long as his daughter is attached to a holy Talmud Chacham Tzaddik Yereshamayim. Nothing impressed him. Not a rich family, not a doctorate, nothing. Just Torah and Irat Shamayim. That's what the Torah meant. The Ibn Ezra is one of the important commentaries on the Torah. 
750 years ago. Second, someone who gives everything that a Talmud Chacham needs. What do you need, Rabbi? Why are you driving such a lousy car, no air condition, shaking, making noise, get stuck every other day? I want to get you a nice car that you can run around peacefully without breaking your head. No, no, it's okay. I manage with that 25 years. I'll manage another 25 years. That's only in Israel, Rabbi. Here it's in America. You can't drive a car like this. I would like to get you a normal car. It doesn't have to be a fancy one, but at least reliable. That's what the Torah talks about. Every time you go to Israel, Rabbi, I have an apartment there in Bnei Brak or Yerushalayim, the key is yours. You can live there, don't rent hotel, and I have a car there, you can drive it. And if you need a driver, I ask someone to drive you around. That's called Me'anet Almidei Chachamim Minechasav. That's a very high level of a Jew, very high level. But there is a higher level. One higher, much higher. Who is the higher? What are you, you going to do with that, these girls? They know better than the Bachurei Shiva, Baruch Hashem, Shtabach Shemo. The one that learns is even higher than the one who says, I'll give everything you want, Chacham. It's all on me. Very nice. Omer Ibn Ezra, Aval Talmidei Chachamim Atzmaam, the actual Talmidei Chachamim, Ayn lo ata elokim zulatcha, Yaase lamechakelo. There is no words to describe their spiritual eternal reward to the next world. Words cannot describe it. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu would speak about the Olam Abba, the next word in the Torah, anyway, no one will know 1% of what he's talking about. Because it's a different language, different level of pleasure. It's a highest spiritual pleasure, and you do not have any of this pleasure in this world. So it will be like explaining to a blind person what the color blue is. Can you explain to a blind person who was born blind? Can you explain to him how lovely his color blue or white or whatever it is? He has no idea what you're talking about. So what's, why wasting time? Wasting time. Nobody would understand a word about it. Rabenu Bechaye, another one of Gdolei Arishonim, close to a thousand years ago. It says... We all know there is, a, there is a verse in the Torah that I, I'm testing you to see if you keep my mitzvot, that I should reward you in your end. Meaning when you leave this world, the reward will start. It's a normal thing. The Torah does not have to speak about something that is different than the nature. Meaning simple common sense. I will be righteous for 80 years and my neighbor will be wicked for 80 years. And in this world, it looks like we both have the same. I have a house, he has a house. I have a car, he has a car. 
He has children, I have children. He's healthy, I'm healthy. He eats well, I eat well. He dress well, I dress well. It may even possible that this Rasha has more than what I have. Better car, better home, more children, right or wrong? So what are the alternatives? That I work for nothing? That Hashem Chas Shalom is a liar? All this will be for nothing? Wicked and righteous will have the same end? Obviously not. It's against the law of nature. Especially when Hashem keeps repeating the fact that he's a fair judge and he doesn't take bribe and he pays everyone exactly what they deserve. So if you didn't see it yet, it's yet to come. It's just a matter of time. Simple common sense. I said once, if somebody thinks that Adolf Hitler in Machshimo, after killing 50 million people, his entire punishment was five seconds of suffering, then he's a total moron. Excuse my language. What did he do? Took a gun. How, much, how long was the pain? Two seconds, second and a half? Blow up the brain? Doesn't feel anything? Fell and died. Here in this world, we see righteous people suffer so much. Cancer, problem, losing their hair, surgeries, uh, pain, back pain, uh, bankruptcy, missiles fall on their house. Every average person suffers more than him. So what is the alternative? To say what? There's no justice, no judge, no nothing, no supervisor. <laughs> How can you say such thing? So obviously there's a, there's a continuation. To be continued. To be continued. It's an... It's enough that the Torah speaks about cut for the soul from the afterlife. Nechreta nefesh. Nefesh is spiritual. That soul will be cut from the afterlife. Then you know. Also, we have a few examples in the Torah that souls came back from the upper world, like Samuel, Shmuel the prophet. King Saul brought his soul back to the world after a while that he was dead already. The fact that the Torah said in three of the 613 commandments do not communicate with the dead, then means they are somewhere. If they will become sand, right, under the ground, how exactly I will communicate with them, send them an email? How exactly? That means there is a way to communicate with the dead. And from here you know that the dead is somewhere. And there are hundreds of verses that speaks about the souls, such as The soul of this mister will be engraved in the life to come. The soul will be in a place of life. What place of life? He died already, the person. So there's many, many places that speaks, but there's also verses that shows that there will be resurrection of the dead. That Aaron will sacrifice in Bet HaMikdash. Aaron never entered the Holy Land. How exactly is going to sacrifice in Bet HaMikdash? Chazal say, from here you learn 
that there will be resurrection of the dead, because Aaron died in a desert, and there was no Bet Mikdash in a desert. There was only a Mishkan. Bet Mikdash is only in Jerusalem, and Aaron one day will sacrifice in Bet Mikdash in Jerusalem. What do you understand from here? That he will be come back. He will come back to life. The Kuzari, the king of Kuzar, he asked Rav Yudah Levi, like a question-answer debate. He said all other religion promise very fat, juicy world to come. And you, the Jews, what are you giving? A little rain? Some fruit? He was talking about Parashat Bechukotai. That's the reward for listening to God. Christian, believe in JC. And you go to heaven. Believe in Muhammad and you go to heaven. With 72, I don't want to tell you what. <laughs> and you, the Jews, be tzaddik, you have more mitzvot than anyone, and what are you going to get for it? Rain. Which Tony in Brooklyn has for free, without keeping mitzvot. Good question or no? So what do you think? That Hashem will give Tony and Vini, the drug dealers of Brooklyn, non-stop rain as much as they want for their farm? without being righteous. And the righteous people in Israel, thanks to them keeping Shabbat, mitzvot, doing chesed, learning Torah, they'll get a little rain. They can take a shower once a year. Make sense to you? You have to be, like I say, super stupid to even think such thing. It gets better. In the book of Kuzari, again, he asks, if in this world Hashem promised that he will walk among us, and can we have a doubt about the next world, that he will be with us? And this physical world, Hashem says, if you follow my mitzvot and listen to me, I will live among you. Meaning, I will be in the heart of every one of you. Asuli mishkan v'shachanti betocham, in each one of you. I would live inside your soul. You'll be attached to me. That's in this world, when you are in a piece of meat, with tons of desire and nonsense. Over there, when it's a pure soul only, needless to say. So, beautiful. Rav Saadia Gaon, a thousand years ago, a little more, answered this question. Before the Torah was given, people used to sacrifice to the sun and the moon and the stars. Because they understood that Hashem made the world run by the stars, like horoscope. But, what happened? The Torah warned us not to sacrifice to those stars. Right? So, slowly, slowly, after a few generations, the Goim got confused. They mixed Hashem and the stars and told the stars have the power to decide what to give us. So the Torah say, you got to be very careful. The Ramban said, 
The Torah is speaking now about a general reward for the entire Jewish nation as a nation. If most of you will keep mitzvot, you'll be righteous. I'm going to give you peace, security, children, rain, parnasah, no sicknesses, etc. But the reward of every individual, everyone design is all eternal world. Therefore, the Torah cannot write five million different olam haba for each individual. You want the Torah to describe each world of each individual? It's not possible. When a person died in Israel, what do they write on a flyer when they hang it everywhere? There's no such thing died. There is alach leolamo in Israel. Alach leolamo went to his own world, meaning he designed his own world, 100%. The Torah gives the scholars of Torah a very powerful power to control the creation. Everything you see in the world, they are in a power to control the creation. They give energy to the world, and if they say something, the world has to obey, even though there's routine rules, everything runs as usual. If a Talmud Chacham said something, he has the power to overcome their usual regular laws of nature and we have hundreds of examples of that in the Torah, in the Gemara, in the Prophets and even in every day's life of, of today. Who can give me a few examples? The guy who was thrown with the lions and the lions didn't Very good, Daniel. Then Daniel, they threw Daniel the prophet with lions that did not eat for days. The lions normally would swallow every other person in less than a minute. Not only did they not touch him, they bowed down to him and licked his toes. Did not touch him. Yoshua ben Nun froze the sun in the earth. Why they needed light at night and there was no night vision yet, made in USA. Soldiers needed to finish the job. That's one of the four times that the sun and the moon and the earth paused. Paused. There's many examples like this. Pinchas ben Yair split the water. Moshe Rabbeinu hit the water, the water split. The ten plagues Moshe and Aaron brought on the Egyptians. The Baba Sali, that was only 30 years ago. Hundreds of witnesses say that there was a party in his house, Mimuna, after Pesach. There was only one bottle of Arak because his wife forgot to buy Arak. And if you know in the house of a Moroccan, if you don't have Arak, it's like a car without the engine. So when Baba Sali asked his wife, where is the Arak? Oh, I forgot. Don't worry. He took a towel, he wrapped the bottle like this, 
wrapped it completely. Nobody, nobody saw it. He said to the people, don't look at it. And he pulled all night from that battle to 300 visitors. Keyad HaMelech. I, to be honest with you, when I hear stories like this, 99.9% .9 immediately I said nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. There's only one problem. I know one person that was there that night and he's not even religious. So it's true. I was there. He grabbed it with a towel. So that got me to believe that story maybe 20, 30 percent. Before I didn't believe it, ah, someone made it up. Don't be naive. Not every story you hear is true. What's written in the Torah for sure happened. What's written in the Talmud for sure happened or in the prophets. What you hear about the Baal Shem Tov or Baba Sali or Benishchai maybe happened, maybe didn't happen. Why? People love to exaggerate. Oh! The Lubavitcher Rebbe built the Varazano Bridge. Yeah, right. Oh, the Babasali made a lake in the desert of Morocco. Because the radiator of the Arab driver exploded. They needed water. So he said, go over there, there's a lake over there. No, maybe yes, maybe not. I once asked my Ashkenazi Rav in Yeshiva, he's Litvish. Tell stories like this to the Litvish, you see how the body begins to shake. I say to him, you believe the stories of the Baal Shem Tov and the Baba Sali? You believe all the stories? <laughs> he, was, he gave me a very diplomatic answer. He said to me, if it happens or not, you don't have to believe. It's not a part of the Torah. But you have to believe that it's possible to happen. If it really happens or not, not you and not me were there to see. Sometimes it happens, sometimes people made it up. But then he says something else. But one thing is for sure. Nobody tells stories like this about me and you. <laughs> you got the point. Well, the day that someone will write about you the things they write about the Baal Shem Tov or the Baba Sali, believe me, you made it. You know, it happened actually in a, in a trial in Europe. They took one rabbi and they blame him for killing a Christian kid and use his blood for matzot. How dumb they can be with this shtuyot. He, he killed the boy and he took his blood and they make the matzot with the blood of the Christian boy. So the, the lawyer said to the judge, Your Honor, this person when he delivers a letter to his friend manually, he runs and put the letter in his mailbox. He takes a stamp and he rips rip the stamp. So the, the judge asks why? That the post office will not lose. So the judge said to him, come on, where do you get this nonsense from? So the lawyer said to the judge, Your Honor, if it's true or not, I don't know. But you have to agree that nobody tells story like this about you and me. Do you think someone like this, that that's what people talk about him in the street, is able to kill a person and, kill his, and eat his blood? Do you really think so? So that was very good, impressive uh, argument. 
but the, the jury still they want revenge, they want to see the rabbi slaughtered. So they, the lawyer said, the lawyer was religious from the university, and he said to them, Your Honor, please send a messenger to the Jewish neighborhood, ask any Jewish woman to come into the courtroom. In five minutes I'll prove to you that the allegation against my client is all fake. The judge got curious, he sent some police. He brought a Jewish woman to the courtroom. He said to her, here is five dollars. Please go to the grocery store and buy eggs. And I want you to demonstrate how do you make an omelet. You don't have to really fry it. Just show the people, well, how do you do it? So the woman went, a Yiddish woman, she got a few eggs, she broke them into a jar, and she started to check inside the egg. So the lawyer said, please explain the judge and the jury, what are you looking for? She doesn't know about the case, nothing. Just, they got her from the street. It actually happened. She said... I'm checking to see if there's no drop of blood in the egg. And the lawyer said to her, and if you will find blood, what would happen? And throw it away. We're not allowed to eat it. So he said to the judge, Your Honor, one drop of blood we're not allowed to eat. We are religious people, and this is a big rabbi. You really think he used five liters of blood of this Christian Tony? That was the end of the case. That was actually turned everything around. Life and death. <laughs> well, maybe you mix the, the blood with a lot, of, a lot of water and makes it white. Maybe the Christian boy has white blood. To convict the Jew, they can make that claim. If you know what I mean. Yes. So, one more reason why Hashem did not describe the reward in details in Olam Abba. Because if you would see in the Torah a description of what's going to happen to you in the next world, it will not be anymore any test. There's no test. I give you an example. You have a kid. He loves ice cream. You want him to do something he hates to do. If you tell him, I'll give you something nice, will it convince him? Maybe yes, maybe not. But if you show him a ton of ice cream, all colors and this, the sprinkles, candy, you show him, it's all yours if you do what I told you. There's any test anymore? It's going to run, right? Same thing, if the Torah will describe exactly what happened to the wicked people in Gehenom, in hell, not one person will be wicked. Because if you see that it's written in the book of God that that's where you're going for not keeping Shabbat, and that's where you're going for stealing, and that's... You would be frozen without moving your entire life from fear. So the idea is that the Torah speaks about it in few verses. There is afterlife, 
There are souls, there's ways to even talk to them after they died. A person never dies, it's only transferred to another world. And I will reward you in your end, that's it. And everything else, you have to trust me. The, the Rav Shvadron, one of the greatest speakers of, of our days, he told the story that Ora Chaim HaKadosh, Rabbi Chaim Ben Atar, from a giant rabbi from Morocco, he used to slaughter every week a cow and give the meat of the cow to all the poor learners in yeshivot on Friday, that they will have meat for Shabbat. One time, he found that one, that all the cows that were slaughtered that week were all non-kosher. This cow has a hole in the lung, that, none of them were kosher. Except the cow that he slaughtered for the, for the poor Talmidei Chachamim, give it to them for free. The rich people of the city of Fas in Morocco, how can they go one Shabbat without meat in the Schena? The Moroccan chulent. The price was rising like crazy. Where can I get a piece of meat? Now, come to this butcher. I don't have this one. The, the cow with slaughter is not good. Not good. Not good. I heard the rabbi slaughter a cow came beautiful. But he usually gives it all to the poor people that learns in yeshivot. One of the rich people came to the house of the Orachaim. Give me one piece of meat, please, for Shabbat. I'll pay whatever you want, Kvod Arav. The rabbi said, I'm sorry. I already gave out all the meat, and I have only one piece left, and that belongs to one Talmid Chacham that did not come to take it yet. Who is that man, the rich person say? He told him the name of that Chacham. He said, that's a Talmid Chacham. I thought you're going to give me some name. The Orach HaChaim did not say anything, but did not give him the piece of meat. That night, in a dream, he was told that he is held guilty for not protesting the honor of a Talmid Chacham as results of that his punishment is to leave his city and to go to exile. Just because he did not attack this arrogant rich person that spoke bad about the Chacham, he has to leave his place and go to exile, to live in a stranger country or whatever. So he had to go for Galut. The Gaon Mivilna also went to exile. He came to a motel. There was a wedding there. They suspected him that he, they didn't know who he is. Remember, there was no Google yet. <laughs> Today, you want to know who's the rabbi, you put his, his, his name and you get a picture. Back then, nobody knew who's the Gaon Mivilna, who's the Rambam. They only knew there are people like this, but they didn't know how they look. So he came to a motel, there was a wedding there, and they suspected him that he stole valuable uh, glass or silver or something. And he did not want to say that I did not take. They were beating him up. Boom, boom. Where is it? Boom, where is it? Until they threw him on the street. 
all bleeding. The grass saw that the Chatan is also smiling, happy. So he said, Shtabach Shemori Bono Shelolam, that I had the marriage to make the Chatan happy on the night of his wedding. Why he did not tell them that it's not him? Check on me, it's not on me. Gaon Mivilna will ever touch something that it's not his even with a finger? The Gaon Mivilna saw by mistake he touched peels, peels of vegetables, which is mukze. By mistake he didn't realize. Immediately he fainted on Shabbat. His wife woke him up. Eliyahu! Eliyahu! Vuzmachstech! He saw the pills again, he fainted. Like this, few times. He wakes up, see the pills, he fainted. His wife realized what's the problem. She took, she woke him up. Eliyahu! She ate it. You see, it's not mukze, it's food. <laughs> he relaxed. Deari HaKadosh by mistake touched his beard on Shabbat like this and he remembered Shabbat, he was afraid that if I, if I move my hands out of my beard, maybe I'll pull one hair out. If you pull an hair out of the, of the root, the sucking, the energy that the air gets from the skin or from the scalp, you disconnected it on Shabbat. It's not allowed. It's a sin. It's so doraita. Just like you cut an orange from a tree or a branch or a leaf or grass from the floor with your hands, you pull it out. This is a surim doraita. So the whole Shabbat, it stayed like this with his hand. Why? Accidentally, maybe I pull hair one. The Rad Shamaim of the Chachamim. They understood what it means to commit a sin. Rav Chaim the student of the Gaon Mivilna, also accepted exile on himself. His wife said, oh, why are you going alone? I also want. <laughs> he said, no, no, stay home. It's going to be too difficult for you. You can stay home. You don't need exile. That's besides the point. That that's not what you learn from here. From here you learn that if somebody speaks against the Talmud Chacham, you must protest fully against him, full force, with no hesitation and no fear and no shame. If you quiet, if you agree, then you become a criminal like him right away. If you disagree, but you say nothing about it, you're also guilty. That's what we learn. So his wife insisted to go with him to exile. So he said, I'm taking you in one condition. No matter what happened to us on the road, you will never say that I'm Rav Chaim Mivolojin. Famous already all over the world, Nefesh Chaim. Because he was already famous, but nobody knew how he looked. Then when they arrived to a place of Chatan Vekala, Interesting, it happened to his Rebbe, the same thing with Gaon Mivilna. And something disappeared over there. They suspected Rav Chaim, because he's a stranger. Well, what are you doing here? You don't, you don't belong in this party. 
They put him in the middle of a circle and beat him up. His wife was looking at that from the women's section. She could not take the pain. She started to scream, leave him alone. So he told her, don't dare to say. <laughs> She's about to say who he is. So everybody understood that he said to her, don't dare to say where you hid it. <laughs> so they hit him even more. Now even harder. But he took them all with love. But when his wife in the end just could not take the pain, because after all women are women, and the heart can take just as much as suffering, and she screamed, leave him alone, this is Rabbi Chaim Ivolojin. As soon as they heard that, they all fainted, fell on the floor. And when they woke up, they started to kiss his feet. <laughs> they started to cry, wow, forgive us, Rabbi, we're begging you, forgive us. He said to his wife, go back home. You did not keep your end in a promise. Rav Steinemann say, today the big righteous people do not have a need to go to exile. Why? Because the abuse and the shaming comes all the way to your home. Express, FedEx. You don't have to go search for it. Remember, in the old days in town, no one will dare to talk against you. They know you're chacham. So you can only get shame in places that people don't know who you are. But today, don't worry. Your own neighbors are going to write about you comments on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Rav Steinemann. So true. Kashkeviz, flyers, media, social media, newspaper. They'll do the job. They'll do the job. Rabbi Chaim Ben Atar, he went to exile. And he said, Rabbi Chaim said about himself that he declared that all the Torah that he wrote was all for the sake of heaven. And even when he was in exile, he continued to learn as usual. And he made 42 explanations to this pasuk, in if you follow my laws. On Friday, he passed by the forest and he saw a Jew chopping a tree. Every time he hit the tree, he screamed, Lichvot Shabbat Kodesh! Remember, there was no ovens back then. Electric stove. Program, Shabbos program. People needed to chop trees and put them and, you know, cover it. Garuf katum, kira, make a hole in the ground, make fire, hoping that the, 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 the chulent will stay all night. It wasn't easy like today. Hey, Joe, Joey, yeah, I don't like my stove. What do you mean? I paid 10,000 for it. Remember I showed you a picture of the stove, $80,000, the one Hasid got here in Borough Park? $80,000 stove. 
I wonder how is Chulen taste. <laughs> so, you see, the Ruach Haim Suad is Jewish, and he's alone, there's nobody there, so it's not a show off, he didn't see him, he was hiding behind. He was very impressed by him. That he's alone and he's declaring that he's doing it for the sake of heaven. So he asked him, Mr. Yid, can I be a guest in your house for Shabbos? I'm on exile, running from one place to another, and I'm looking for a place to be on Shabbat. Of course, he accepted him. He took him to shul with him. And he went to hear the, the speech of the rabbi of the shul. And the rabbi said, gentlemen, I just found out from Shamaim 14 explanations that the Orachaim said, Dolador, and he doesn't know he's sitting in a crowd. Rabbi Chaim Ben Atar about this pasuk. And he said all 14. And, uh, and, uh, and he doesn't know, the, the, the host doesn't know that that's the rabbi. So he said, it's true. That's what Rabbi Chaim Ben Atar said. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Who the heck you think you are? We don't need your approval, you know? So imagine this is Moroccan, so they have had blood naturally. So someone said, yeah, yeah. Rabbi Ovadia himself used to get angry that the Moroccans say, Emet Toratenu Akdosha. When they go up to the Torah, they finish the, the Kriya, and instead of saying, Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Lanu Torato, what they say? Before they say, Emet, Emet, true, our Torah is holy. So we don't need your approval that the Torah is holy. Thank you very much that you approve it. Why is to get angry? Because it's half sick. You make first bracha, you read in the Torah, and you have to say another bracha right away, without extra words. That's an halacha argument. Anyway, this Moroccan host, he see that the guest is saying it's true. That's what Orachim, who do you think you are? Well, do you know Orachim? What are you giving me approval now? <laughs> so... So, the people around, they also heard, they got angry. They said, whoa, what is this? He calling him Chaim Ben Atar? Without saying, Rabbi, Kvod Arav, Gdol Ador, Arav Agaon. So the Rabbi said, shh, leave it alone. Who knows who is this guy, homeless. He doesn't know anything from his life. Yeah. He's poor from the road. <laughs> the next day, the rabbi said, now I got another 14 explanations. He gave them, and he said, so, Chaim Ben Atar actually said that also. <laughs> They're going crazy. Oh, yeah. yeah. The third time in Suda Shlishi, the rabbi said the last 14. 14, 14, and 14, all together 42. And he said, yes, Chaim Ben Atar said that also. They couldn't forgive him anymore. They wanted to already beat him up. The rabbi said, no, no, take him to the cage, lock him there. We will teach him a lesson. 
מרוקן סטייל, פוטים אין הקייץ', וואו וואו וואו, what's waiting for you over there. טוב, so, the rabbi say leave him over there until we see what we're going to do with him מוצא שבס. מוצא שבס, a storm started in town, trees falling, boom, rockets, חמאס, אללהו אכבר, all kinds of problems, it was 250 years ago. More, more, 300 years ago. 300 years ago. Trees are falling, roofs are falling. The rabbi that was very holy rabbi at Ruach HaKodesh, at night he saw that the Ora Chaim is captured in the end of his community. And he cannot do Avdala. And every Motzei Shabbos in Avdala, he has in mind all the holy names. All the holy names in Kabbalah. And as a result of that, there's a big storm in a place. Right away, the rabbi said, go, go, take this man out of the jail. He said, you, Ora Chaim HaKadosh, and you don't tell us. You don't, by the way, it's interesting, this Or HaChaim HaKadosh became famous not only among Sfaradim, among Hasidim also, even Litaim. Everybody knows who he is, just like Rashi, it's everywhere. Sfaradim, Ashkenazim, Litaim, Hasidim. He is also like that. He went to all the world, all the communities, even Europe. So they found out who Or HaChaim is. The Gemara in Masechet Nida, page 36, the Gemara said there's a machloket there, and Halacha is not like Rav. But Rav Shila used to do like Rav, but it wasn't Halacha like Rav. Before Rav passed, he called Rav Asi, and he said, after my funeral, go to Rav Shila, and tell him that I changed my mind. I'm no longer holding like I used to. So do not do like me. And if he will not agree to listen to you, give him all kinds of proofs until you convince him. When Rav was dying, Mamash moments before he died, he he already did not speak so clear. So instead of Geria, he said Gedia. Gedia means put him in Nidui, in isolation. So he understood that if Rav Shila will not agree to stop doing Alakha like Rav, you should put him in isolation, in Cherem, in Nidui. Rav passed. After the funeral, Rav Asi called Rav Shila and told him, Rav said that you should do like Alakha, not like him. And if not, I'm going to put you in cherem, in nidui. Rafshila asked him, how do you say such thing? Even if Rav changed his mind, he would tell me that. He knows that I'm following all his halachot. I'm not accepting your words. So he said, in that case, he told me to put you in cherem. I have to put you in isolation. Like Rav like told me to do. And he said, you're not afraid of my status? That I'll be upset at you? Like you're risking your life. Rav Shila told him, 
You're making me unable to focus on my Torah. You're not afraid of a kpeda, of a Talmid Chacham? Rav Asi say, no, I'm not afraid. I have schut avot. The merit of my fathers will protect me. And he said to him, I also have schut avot. So we even on that. So they keep arguing, and he put him in isolation. And right after that, he became sick and died. When Rav Shila found out that Rav Asi died, he said to his, to his wife, prepare for me clothes, I'm going to die. The things that you wrap the bodies. I have to join him soon. The wife told him why. He said, because Rav Asi will go up to heaven now, and he's going to find Rav. And he will tell about me that I killed him because I was strict about him putting me in isolation. And I know that I'm going to have to go up there to fix the this, this, this story. His wife prepared for him linen. Linen, you put, you, you, when you bury the bodies, you cover them with linen. He wore them and died right away. They took him together with Ravasi and made him a mutual funeral. A mutual funeral. The Orachaim is asking, how can it be that Rav Shila came to his house and told his wife, I'm going to die? Since when a human being decide when he's going to die and when not? It's all, only Hashem knows the moment of death. Nobody knows when he's going to die. So how did he know for sure he's going to die? He told her, put me already in clothes that I'm ready to die with. <laughs> the Orachayim said, if you devote all your life to Torah and nothing else, your entire life is Torah, whatever comes out of your mouth must happen. And he wanted to go. Say to his wife, I have to go. He died because of me. I don't deserve to leave. Put me this outfit and I'm going with him. That's what it means that the Talmud Chacham have superpower. I gave you a few examples of, of that, of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, that says in a, in a golf world that uh, in Bnei Brak nobody should wait online for hours to get a mask. Saddam used to sh was shooting 39 Scud missile fell in Israel. Each Scud missile in the war between Iran and Iraq killed more than 800 people. He killed them with chemical weapon. He had chemical weapon, mustard, uh, gas, all kinds of gas. It was crazy. It was such a scary days. The size of a Scud missile is from here to the end of that synagogue. That's how big it is falls in the middle of the city, it can kill thousands of people. So they ask of Chaim Kanievsky, should we, should we get this mask? It's protecting us from not dying. We breathe that, we're going to all choke. He said to them, no. Sit and learn. Same thing today. Rockets are falling on the south. Later they started to fall around Tel Aviv. But in the beginning on the south, all the Avrechim asked, what should we do? Should we leave the yeshiva and go to the shelter? Or we should stay in yeshiva and learn? Everybody stay in yeshiva and learn as usual. Rav Chaim said. Do you know 
How scary is to make such a decision? Imagine one rocket would fall and two that learn and kill them. That's the end of you. That's it. Everything you build in 92 years of learning and holiness, your reputation will be destroyed. He killed the people, told them not to go. That's what the people are going to say. That's what they will remember in the end. No one will remember all the holiness and all the great things. But you see from here, once he said something, Hashem makes everything goes around the world of the Chacham. Same thing with the vaccines. Some places in the world, people say that the vaccine caused them problem, even Pfizer and Moderna. But in Israel, nobody died. Five and a half million people got both vaccine, Pfizer and Moderna, nobody died. And to the best of my knowledge, nobody had any sickness as results, besides some minor symptoms. But And it brought Israel back to normal, you saw. Nobody gets corona anymore. Two weeks, nobody gets corona, nobody dies. The hospitals are empty from corona. Why? To prepare the hospitals for the Hamas victims. Ay, ay, ay. Rabbi Akiva, when he was 120 years old, the Romans put him in jail. He had the student, what his name was, Rabbi Garci, I think, Garci. He used to bring him a bucket of water every day. Half of the water he used to wash his hands before he ate the bread, and the other half he drinks. Every 24 hours he gives him one little bucket of water. One time the guard kicked the bucket. He said, you, got, you gave too much water today. You don't need, he doesn't need so much. Boom, he kicked it. Half of that spilled until he picked it up. He brought Rabbi Akiva half. Rabbi Akiva told him, why took you, what took you so long? Don't you know I'm an old man? I depend on this water. He said to him, the guard gave me hard time. Why did Rabbi Akiva saw that half of the water is wasted? The other half that left, he used to wash his hands. He said to him, what are you doing, Rabbi? You're wasting the water on the hands. You should drink. He said, I have to eat bread. That's the only food I get here. And what can I do that my friends, the Chachamim, they made a decree that you cannot eat bread unless you wash your hands. He is the biggest Chacham in the world and he does not dare to go against the order of the Chachamim. What are we going to say? We are better than him? Ah, that's the Rabbanan. Ah, that's Rabbinical. Ah, oh, Baruch Hashem, it's not the Oraita. What's the punishment for not listening to Chachamim? One and a half times. True. Death. Death penalty. Chayav mita. Hashem is killing him. A lot of people die just because they make fun of the Chachamim. One question I have and I would leave you with question. Let's see if you're going to come up with the answer by Monday. The Chachamim, the sages... Oh, Monday is the Shavuot, right? So next Monday. The, Tuesday. 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 It's, tu, next Tuesday. No, no, no. Wait, wait. Sunday night is Shavuot until Tuesday night. So next week there's no lectures. Following Monday, so in Queens, you maybe remember my question. 
The purpose of Chachamim making decrees is to reserve the Torah, right? For instance, David HaMelech and his Bedin made a decree that no one can be together, man and a woman, in a closed place. It's called Yichud. From the Torah, you could have been in the same room with a woman. You know you're not allowed to touch her, not allowed to look at her. She knows the same thing. You're both religious people, there's nothing to worry about. 300 years after the Torah was given, people started to be not as modest as before. When David HaMelech saw that that can shalom lead to a sin between a single boy to a single girl or even a married one, needless to say, he decided that they have to make a new decree. From now on, you're not allowed to be in a room that closed and locked or the shades are down, men and a woman together, married, single, doesn't matter. You're not allowed to close yourself in a place that other people don't have access to the place. That's already a sin. Why? If you know not to be together with a woman in a closed place, it will not lead to make a sin. That's called Yichud. When you isolate yourself with someone or certain things that you're in the office and your boss say come in and he locks the door or close the door, that's not allowed. You have to leave the door a little open. Bottom line, if the windows are open and people pass by and see what's inside or the door is unlocked and people can walk in, that's no problem. If you give someone a ride, it's major roads with lots of cars, you leave the lights on, a man and a woman, she sits in the back, no problem, people look inside. So you have a guard. But if you're in the middle of nowhere, in a forest or in some place, can't give her a ride over there. That's already not modest. So now, what was the purpose of the decree? To protect people for losing their share to the world to come. So let me make them far away from the scene. I don't even give them a chance to be isolated. From here it's already a scene. So if you walk into a room with a woman and you close the door and you close the sheds, already you're wicked. Now everybody already knows you're, you're not a righteous person. Nobody wants, uh, leave him alone, it's Rasha. That's what he's doing, Yichud. Now, if he says, I don't care, it's rabbinical, Rabbanan, I don't care. What's his punishment? Death. I don't get it. The decree was meant to save you from death. Or from Karet. What benefit it is that the guards, the fans that the Chachami made, it's also that penalty. Do you understand? When I say to you, first offense, $100 fine. Second offense, $1 million fine. First time, you get it easy, 100. Why? I already want you to understand that it's not allowed. You're going to do it second time, you pay a million dollar fine. So the first one is making you scared to go far. But if the first one is already a million, so what did I do by that? I make you actually paid and died 
faster than what the Torah wanted you to die. So what kind of protection is that? Do you understand the question? So what don't rush to answer. If I ask such a question, there's something to think about. We have to think about. Even in every court today, first offense, easy punishment. Second, much, much more serious. If you don't have a criminal record, usually you will get away with that first time. After 30 times? Courtesy of Democrats, what do you want? Democrats destroys the world. I started to say in the beginning of tonight's lecture that we have to limit 90% of democracy. We still have to vote the leaders, obviously, because we don't have a prophet of Hashem to tell us who Hashem wants as a leader. So we're still going to have to make an election. But once someone is elected, he has to run the show. He cannot go on with this circus anymore. Five elections, everybody says something else, 5,000 opinions. We need a king. He was elected to be the king. He makes all the rules. That's it. There has to be something different. Why? Because today the prime minister has no power. Netanyahu wanted to declare a state of emergency and a city of loot for the first time in Israel history today. Why? Hundreds of cars are on fire. Synagogue is on fire. Thousands of murderers, Arabs running in the street, burning, shooting, throwing, and with guns also. And he wants to bring the army into the city of Lud, like happened here with the riots. And the lefties, don't let! I told you, they are the real enemies. The damage they make is much more fatal than these Arabs. Because if he would allow Mishmar Agvul, 5,000 soldiers coming into loot, in two hours there'll be... The Arabs will hide under, I don't want to tell you where, because it's very aggressive soldiers. They break their bones. There will be probably 20, 30 death, because they would shoot at them, and the soldier would shoot back at them. There will be a serious retaliation, and it will be over. And they will think a million times if to do something tomorrow. Because the left is don't let, they cooperate with them already for seven years. It's not from today. Who knows what we're going to get in the next few hours? Who knows what we got since this lecture started? The bombs, bombs right now. 400 missiles. Here you go. I tell you why. I tell you why, Lord. You know why, Lord? Lord has thousands of Arabs and unfortunately some Jewish girls goes out with them. Intermarriage, not marriage, but inter-relationship. So, the city of Lot and Ramle, same thing. Every city has a mixture of Jews and Arabs. Unfortunately, not Israel, some of them pass the line. Remember, these Arabs, they know how to pretend that they are Israelis. They put gel in their hair, earring. What's your name? Rafi. It's not Rafi, it's Rafik. What's your name? Yossi. It's not Yossi, it's Yusuf. You understand? That's what's going on. Remember, they're born in Israel, so they already know how to speak with Israeli accent. 
And that's a disaster for Benot Israel. They give them drugs, they all have nice Mercedes, they don't pay taxes, a lot of them are in criminal gangs, they have tons of money, they drive fancy cars, a lot of them are mafia. It's mafia, there's neighborhoods, families, these gangsters, these gangsters. And also, by the way, fight each other, these Arabs. Everybody fights everyone. It's a, it's a zoo. What happened now is it's a zoo. Believe me, Hashem knows what he's doing. We can only cry that we brought the world to such a situation. What we get now is still with the mercy of Hashem. But we have to cry why we force Hashem to give us such a punishment. That's all we have to cry for. And to do tshuva and to give a lot of tzedakah. I'm telling you, Rabotai, tzedakah will save you, your family, from chas v'shalom tragedies. The more tzedakah you give, the safer you will be. Better to be safe than sorry. Baruch Adonai le'olam. Amen ve'amen.